Welcome to Book Recos Between the Pages. I'm Jess. And I'm Lauren. And we're the pals behind Book Recos. This is the podcast where we chat all things books and just about everything in between. Today's episode is paid by Tandem Collective, but as always, all views are our own and completely sincere. We're actually very excited as we get to discuss a book we've wanted to read for a really long time, Strong Female Character. This is comedian Fern Brady's memoir exploring mental health, sexism, neurodivergence and so much more. I'm so buzzing that we are well we finally read this book and that we're now chatting about it because I've waited a long time and I'm going to say it right up top it's in my top 10 books of the year oh my god that is a wild game and this always happens always without fail January is always our strongest reading month yeah I've had two top 10s and it's halfway through January at time of recording based on that you're going to end up with 24 is that good maths? That is Top good maths. Of the year. That is such good maths. Is that good maths? I mean, so far, we're halfway through January. I could find another one and that throws your whole, <laughs> your whole sum out. Um, but, I, you know, um, sometimes summer can be a lull, right? So this allows yeah. to have a lolly summer. Yeah, it starts mm-hmm. strong. And it also gets you, like, in the mood to read, like, great books. Yes, definitely. Start as you mean to go on. Okay, so shall I start by kicking us off with the synopsis because it's a short one, very to the point and does the job. And here we are. If you've ever been on a night out where you got blackout drunk and have laughed the next day as your friends tell you all the stupid stuff you said, that's what being autistic feels like for me. One long blackout night of drinking, except there's no socially sanctioned excuse for your gaffes and no one is laughing. Fern Brady was told she couldn't be autistic because she's had loads of boyfriend, uh, boyfriends and is good at eye contact. This is the story of how being female can get in the way of being autistic and how being autistic gets in the way of being the right kind of woman. Fantastic synopsis. And it actually, is, shall yeah. I just leave the content warnings here up top as well? Yeah. Um, so the memoir does help in understanding meltdowns and the struggles of people with autism before and after diagnosis. And while it could be educational for readers, the content and the tone it is written in could be challenging for some. There is a comedic tone used in some parts of the book that could be disarming for some readers, but could be perceived as flippancy by others. Similar tone was used for discussions about serious topics such as self-harm. So it is an absolutely brilliant book and hopefully that doesn't put anyone off. But, you know, it's just good to know for your own well-being because it does have some heavy content in it. But um, as that says, she is a comedian. So it's all done really like it's done very well, isn't it? And also it's her life story. It's her memoir and it's up to her how she chooses to relay these memories that she's got which are very painful but she's done it in such a way that it feels you know not not too heavy there are certainly very heavy parts to this book but it's all done where it doesn't all come consistently there's like a real nice mix of humor and then more you know darker content yeah definitely and actually should we um, start off by talking about how we read the book because I listened to the audiobook and which... I go on, go on. <laughs> I was gonna say I loved it because it's narrated by Fern 
which is great. But I also listened to the audiobook whilst driving. Okay. And she was saying, like, she says so many great things. And I was just driving, like, would love to make a note of that. How do I make myself remember that? And then obviously I, I was driving, so I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I genuinely might physically read it, um, which is what you did, Lauren. I physically read the paperback and because Jess was like, well, I already know because she'd already she'd started it before me. She was like, I already know this is going to be in my top 10 books of the year. So I want a physical copy and Tandem had sent us uh, the audio copies. So I went out and bought the copy so that I could give it to Jess afterwards. And because I knew that Jess was going to be the owner of the book, I kid you not when I say I read this like it was a made of us like my hands hurt holding the book so I was like I can't break the spine I can't break the spine whereas everybody knows I tend to just the first thing I do is break a spine of a book yeah so well I... you'll be pleased to know Jess I didn't break the spine but I did dog ear some pages where there were like good quotes because I knew you would want to do that as well Dog earring is absolutely fine. I'm a, the cover has to be pristine. The inside, you can be whatever you like, unless it's, you know, wrinkly pages and there's been water spilled on it. So well, thank so you. Proud. The cover is absolutely pristine. Amazing. Now you've just got to transport it to me and keep it pristine. <laughs> I know. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it a lot. I hope you have stronger hands for it. <laughs> I've got stronger <laughs> biceps for it. Like you have to like externally rotate your biceps to be able to hold a book like yeah, that. It- Honestly, it's a full body workout. Yeah, it is. Not what I want for my reading time. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, so back to the book. Obviously, we we were chatting about how the fact that when we discuss nonfiction books, we'll like chat about all the topics that are talked about. And does that make them spoilers? So with this book, we're not just going to dissect the entire book. You still need to read it to be able to enjoy it for yourself. But we're just going to touch on a few of the elements that kind of carry through the entire book I'd say yeah I think that's a good way of of structuring it yeah so first off the book has the introduction to the book like the first chapter is such a good introduction yeah she paints the picture so so well and I remember driving along being like yes yes if this is what the beginning's like the whole book's going to be great it was conversation with her dad wasn't it yeah and it's quite it's kind of done and I don't think this is a spoiler because it's the beginning of the book it's it's set the week she got her autism diagnosis and she calls her dad to tell her dad and her dad's reaction was oh right traffic in London's mental hey and from there on she's like okay well I guess I know what side my autism comes from yeah. Because he, yeah, and it also gives you a very, it gives that alone, the first chapter alone gives you a really good idea, I'd say, of what her upbringing was like. Yeah, well, it does loads because it t- in that one sort of bit, you learn that she's only newly been diagnosed yeah. as an adult. You learn about, her, a bit about her childhood. You learn about the fact that she's, a woman and how that's harder to be diagnosed which we're going to come on to and it's just like yeah you can read so much into just that one yeah little anecdote to start this to start the book um so yeah it's brilliant and actually before we go on so 
Fern spent most of her life knowing she was different, but not really knowing why. And, and as we've just said, it wasn't until her adult life that she got diagnosed with Asperger's. And these days it is now known as ASD. And that's for two reasons. One is to avoid the misconception that Asperger's was a different condition from autism. And secondly is that Hans Asperger was a Nazi and collaborated in the murder of children with disabilities. And so it's not that that term isn't used anymore, but Fern acknowledges this in the book. And at the time of her diagnosis, it was called Asperger's. So if you read yeah. the book, please, well, try not to be offended that she uses it. She's aware that it's not used anymore. And both phrases are used throughout the book. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think we should start our discussion about why she went for so long in her life, not being diagnosed. And, you know, a core reason for that is because women often go undiagnosed with autism and yeah I this is something I've only just started hearing about more and more um and I don't know what the catalyst for it was it may have even been Fern Brady's tweet you know when she did find out she her her reaction was to share it on Twitter and I have started see seeing a lot more like articles about this and it just is oh it, it's mind-blowing how just all of the diagnostic tools and patterns are geared towards men and for so long I think doctors were just trying to diagnose her with OCD because many of the patterns felt like many of her behavioral um you know habits and behaviors were felt more like an OCD behavior to a, a GP, but obviously she just flew under the radar for such a long time and it's had such a detrimental impact on her neurological state. Yeah, well, she says, I've, I've pulled out a quote here. She says, the public perception of autistics is so heavily based on the stereotype of men who love trains or science that many women miss out on diagnosis and are thought of as studious instead. And Fern is very, very bright. Um, she's big mm. into languages. She loves learning languages and, and was really smart student at school, which is, again, is why it was just like, oh, you know, she's just a smart kid with no friends. Exactly. And she says for a long time that she was just told she had disruptive behavior. And because she had disruptive behavior, but she was also very smart, again, she didn't fall into the pattern of, well, she's got disruptive behavior and she's not doing her schoolwork, so there must be something wrong. So it, no one paid any attention to it. And what she says is there's no such thing as someone who st ever studied too much, even if they did give themselves a nervous breakdown in the process, which is what she did while studying for her A-levels. I think she learned like six languages or something ridiculous. And it's only now that increasing number of health professionals are beginning to understand for intensity of interest rather than unusual interests when it comes to assessing autism in girls so it's the fact that they you know obsessed with trains it's how intense their obsession come and for yeah. men, for her well that's the other thing isn't it romantic relationships yeah. being told by the doctor that she goes to her doctor I think it was at uni wasn't it when and says I think I have autism 
And the doctor said, but of course you don't. You make eye contact and you've got a boyfriend. But again, just because the ma- the way male autism presents itself is lack of eye contact and not being able, to, not wanting a, a romantic relationship, it looks differently on women, but all the studying has been done on men. Which is true in so many cases. Um, mm. But, you know, obviously this is Fern's story and is just throughout the book. So we introduced to that early on in the book and then constantly she makes examples of where has she been a man? She might have, it's, you know, that behavior at that time might have been picked up on, but because yeah. she was a woman, it was like, oh, she's just a difficult woman. Mm-hmm. Or, oh yeah, women just, I like this sometimes. And so as you read it, you're like, you'll you'll get all of these anecdotes and it just makes you constantly think, doesn't it? The whole time you're reading. <laughs> yeah. And because mentally she felt so um, uncertain and knew she's always known there was something wrong with her and needed you know she needed help but there was no help wherever she looked and there she had no one advocating for her and a lot of the book is also her relationship with her parents and how you know I don't want to go into too much there because I don't want to give away any spoilers but it's you know how her parents kind of turned a blind eye to it too even though they knew better than anybody else just how intense her obsessions could become and how her behavior was very irrational and there were clear indications that something wasn't right and she needed help from um doctors and at one point like Jess said in the content warnings she does turn to self-harm and for that reason is put into a she calls it the mental unit she's put into a teenage psych ward at 16 a a very challenging time for her as somebody who again was her self-harm was a way of her dealing with her undiagnosed autism that I mean so I mean as she's already we've said she's bright and so, so yeah. much of the book is about her life through education. So we hear about her at school and the things that happened to her at school. So for example, like a, a short anecdote is that she she feels no shame in periods, but yeah. growing up in this small Scottish town with these Catholic women, it's like, do not ever talk about that. And But because she's autistic and she doesn't have those I don't know, barriers, would you call them? She's like, well, no, this is just the thing that happens to women. And because she's read so much, she's like, no, this is a really normal function of women. I'm going to talk about periods. But none of her peers are prepared for that because they are children (laughs) and they're not as mature, I guess, in that sense. Yeah. She ends up getting sort of, well, not, but, you know, there's like a bit of beef at the school because she's happy to talk about this thing that's happening to her and other children aren't. Um, I won't touch on it, but, you know, she's got, she hasn't got a lot of friends at school. She finds a friend. I'll lay, I'll leave that as a, you know, go and find out which that who that friend is. Um, but then yeah, she goes to this psych unit. I can't remember exactly what it's called. Um, and no longer attends official school, if you will. Mm-hmm. And there we learn about the fact that she's actually been. She, she says that her parents have sort of coddled her because she doesn't even know how to get a bus. 
and the people there are like cannot believe that she can't just get the bus to this place and she's like i've never i've never i've never been taught how to get a bus this far yeah and, and then so the same the same happens then when she goes off to university <laughs> very what we would take as um simple life skills she's just never learnt before partly because of how she sort of created her own education program I'd yeah, say and became yeah. obsessed with languages and then didn't really bother with anything else because she couldn't you know that's not where her interest was so when she joins university she gets there on a scholarship because she's got such incredible grades but has to retake I think it's her first year three times was it or twice because she doesn't doesn't know to ask for help doesn't go to any of her lectures because she can't navigate around the university campus or find anywhere doesn't know how to find where the printing material or the reading material for her course was so never reads the books that she's meant to read as part of her course because she doesn't have a laptop and doesn't know didn't know that she needs one and when her dad gets her one it's a very outdated one that doesn't really function well so she's sort of she's just not I I don't know if it if it's obviously part autism and part confidence thing that she doesn't want to ask for help because the one time she does ask for help she gets really scolded doesn't she by mm. another peer and then that sort of tells her oh you can't ask for help then because her whole life she's had to and this is again what I think sets women apart from men in their experiences of Asperger's, I presume, um, autism, sorry, is the, you know, social conditioning and particularly to women, a lot of things are just said between the lines and she mm. doesn't know how to read between the lines. And there's an example of, I think it's just from being young after she did start her period, her mum just kept saying, her and you will be a good girl won't you and she was meant to read the line between and uh, in the lines that you will be a good girl and you don't want to get into trouble do you meant that you don't you're not going to have sex and having and what she says is um now I looked at her crying and it dawned on me as she was using trouble as a code word for shagging, I felt furious at her. Why didn't she just say that then? Why did everyone go around speaking in code, then getting angry at me because I didn't have the glossary for their secret language? And how was something as nice as sex trouble anyways? Yeah. So it's just a very black and white way of seeing the world. Yeah, and that's kind of similar to something that her boyfriend says to her in the book, that he... He says, "Oh, you're yeah, but you're you're different around your friends." And he says, "I I watch because he cottons on quite yeah. early and starts reading up about it to be able to help her, which I think is so sweet. He sounds great. Yeah, I hope they're still together. I don't know. And um, he says to her, "I watch you in social situations, trying to figure out what people are talking about. Yeah, and like can't follow 
the in jokes and what's a joke and what's sarcastic and and it must just be exhausting and really scary especially that whole bit around like not being able to find her way around uni and stuff because at that point when you haven't got I totally get why having a diagnosis must just be relief instantly just to have a reason to why you're struggling like this Mm -hmm. and that's the same with any illness or condition or or anything I guess but must just be really constantly scary and exhausting to figure out what the fuck is going on all the time exactly and I think that's a huge part of what she covers in the book around the mental exhaustion that comes with the, as in are you talking about for when she ends up having a breakdowns and the rumbles yeah. yeah 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 that was really interesting to learn about actually because I don't think I knew I didn't definitely didn't know that it they could be so so much so Fern quite often finds herself destroying her house and luckily now she knows why and can find ways to try and prevent it from happening but there would just be times where she she couldn't couldn't figure out why she had just ripped down a wall in her house and it was having these these breakdowns that she has so she um I pulled out just a a short quote that helped me at least to figure out a bit more about what it could be because you might think oh if you're destroying your house something really bad has happened but actually yeah. it can be something really small she says i've all I've, i'll always have a sensory system that is wired differently where a light touch makes me want to scratch my skin off sudden noises cause me pain and fluorescent lights feel like it's sucking the life out of me and she does give an example of when like her hair is being brushed and then she just like her whole she just wants to rip her skin off because it's so mm. uncomfortable for her and so it can just be something really small that can end up spiraling into this this huge exhausting thing yeah and getting her nails done and the yeah. nail technique cuts her nails too short which ruins a whole week for her and that's not even an exaggeration it is it genuinely ruins a whole week for her because the sensory feeling of her nails being cut down to the nail beds sends her completely off kilter and makes her so angry and she can't and she can't control that anger that comes from just feeling I guess the only way I can think of it is it's like having an exposed nerve yeah and actually on that you've just said the only way I can describe it throughout one of my biggest takeaways from the book is that Fern is absolutely brilliant at analogies she so many things she says she'll be like this is like uh I mean I have not got an example to give you but it's because there's so many if you take a ring off your finger you know what that feels like and so she would liken something to that and so you're able to kind of understand a little bit more about what she's going through because she's given you an example that is so well known and you can so obviously relate to which might have nothing to do with what she's going through but she just uses them throughout and it's like this must things can be this clear and she's had yeah. to navigate her way through life with things not being this clear without the brilliant analogies that she's giving us as the reader to be able to understand a little bit more of what she goes through. It's so well done. It is. And should we talk about sort of when she is at uni, what she does to, well, she's wrongly categorized or the uni assume that her parents are supporting her financially which they're Mm. not so she ends up having to live off of I think it's 80 pounds a month so as you can imagine that doesn't get you anywhere and she needs to work a job so on top of trying and this is 
while she's now trying to do her coursework, also work around the clock to make money so that she can afford to be there and pay her rent. On top of all of that, then navigating an undiagnosed autistic um, diagnosis, she obviously gets incredibly burnt out. But one of the jobs that appeals to her is becoming a stripper in a in a nightclub in Edinburgh. And again, it almost disrupts her diagnosis further because again, people just assume that autistic people aren't sexual people or they don't they wouldn't be a stripper. Yeah. But actually she um she says it makes total sense why an aut- autistic person would be able to work in a strip club. It's dark lighting. Yeah. It's not a lot of socialising. Uh, like you don't have to understand social cues and certain things. And, I, and as you were saying, I was like, God, that makes total sense. And that yeah. must have felt like quite a relief for her to be able to work in this place where she didn't have to think of everything else that she did outside of the workplace. Yeah. And there's this quote actually from her time there where she says, Part of autistic survival is learning to unpick social dynamics. I liked that in a strip club, men's content of view was out in the open. In the outside world, men's misogyny was always hovering in the peripheral vision, meaning you could never quite trust your instincts, which is, again, just reinforces that difficulty she has in being able to read between the lines and what people say versus what they actually mean. But I thought in this context, that was even more interesting in terms of gender biases and treatment of men and women. Yeah, it was really nice. It was actually really nice to hear that she had found this safe place in this workplace. And I actually first um, knew who Fern Brady was because I'm such a huge Taskmaster fan. And she was in one of the seasons. She, I think she was actually the the one I backed because, you know, we always like first episode, choose someone yeah. to back. Um, and so that's how I found out about her. And so when she started talking about her comedy career and, you know, different jobs that she had had, I spent a lot of book boom like, oh, I really hope Taskmaster's okay because I really enjoyed her on that. And so mm-hmm. when she does talk about it, she says... Taskmaster is like a perfect show for autistic people because you go, you do nine tasks a day. You're only really with Alex, uh, who's the host of the show. And you you are literally just asked to be yourself. And it was, I got that similar feeling reading about her job in the strip club to reading that. And I was like, oh, I'm so happy that that was nice for her. (laughs) So I really enjoyed watching it. And I would have felt so bad if I'd enjoyed watching something that was actually horrendous for her. Yeah. And also... I, it was interesting reading her just experience of telling people that she is a stripper or was a stripper at uni mm. and a lot of people sort of putting judgment on her for it and she says one day she was watching a, com- a comedian on tv saying strippers always brag that men can't touch us and she smiles before delivering the punchline that is yeah well that's true of any workplace and the crowd mm. laughs and then she goes into this mini rant which i just thought was absolutely brilliant where she says um 
women do get groped in the workplace and are too ashamed to say anything because normal workplaces keep up the pretense that women are equal to their male colleagues. The bind is this. I've never lost jobs in a strip club for speaking out about male harassment. We had no shame in calling men out in the clubs. Instead, we just had the offensive man immediately removed by a big Latvian bouncer on steroids. How many women can say that the same in Hollywood, comedy, the media, the music industry, or any other number of professionals that have had their own sexual harassment scandals, which I thought was the perfect comeback. Yeah. And again, I love her. I loved that her job as a stripper gave her this, this safety. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it, eventually in the book, it does become overwhelming for yeah. her, but it's more because of navigating just too much all at once and the pressure of having to, um, work whilst at uni yeah which is difficult for anyone let alone as she says somebody with undiagnosed autism yeah she's dealing with like three things at work at once sorry Mm. like work uni undiagnosed autism it's a lot um and you keep reminding me of things from the book and then it reminds me of even more things but I don't think (laughs) there's any point in reading out the whole book to everyone but yeah, as you were just saying that, I was like, do you know what? She actually has loads of boyfriends throughout the book and we hear about her losing her virginity and there's a lot of sex in the book. Um, and again, that's something else that she talks a lot about is that um, quite often autistic people can be queer. And yeah. there's also a whole load, I mean, mm, is that a spoiler? Maybe I won't say. <laughs> but yeah, there's just so much. She doesn't hold back at all. And no. in her final pages, she does say, I have bared everything here. I haven't held back at all because I don't want anybody to think that I've held anything back due to shame or yeah. having shame associated with her diagnosis at all. So I think her hope is that this book will be uh, will help anybody who has autism to feel seen. And maybe people, women especially, who don't, who are undiagnosed but know that something's wrong and will read this book and maybe start to piece things together. Yeah. And I actually, um, before this episode, was reading some interviews where autistic people have interviewed her. Yeah. And um, I think it was National Autistic Society. There was like a, I found a forum of people that were talking about the book in there. And it sounds, it, sound, it actually sounds that it has divided some people because yeah. Fern touches on it in the book in that when she first does that tweet that Lauren mentioned, she was so scared of being put in this autistic box by her comedy peers that she says, I'm not going to be one of those autistics. I can't remember the exact words. And that upset a lot of people, understandably so. And, you know, she talks about her regret of that in the book, but some people have still got a grudge against her without reading the book. And also this book is Fern's experience, as she says herself, that the, there isn't a linear way of diagnosing autism. I think she says it's more like a circle. It's not like this straight line where you can Mm. be on a, on the spectrum. Sorry, that's what she's talking about. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. She's like the spectrum isn't this like bar graph it's way more varied than that so you can read this and think that's not true I have um, yeah is it ASD ADS or sorry I'm trying to use the new phrase for it um and not be able to relate but this is what Fern has gone through this is Fern's life it's Fern's memoir it's not a manifesto it's a memoir as far as I'm concerned 
Definitely. Um, and I and learned a lot. I learned so much. I found it so eye-opening and I really want to now go and watch some of her comedy as yeah. well because I think it would be, uh, she just seems really funny. It's won so many, well, it won the non-fiction book of the year last year and it was also shortlisted for so many awards like the Nero Book Awards and the Goodreads Choice Book of the Year Award and at the moment on bookshop.org which as you know it links you with buying a book from an independent shop it's their January book of the month so if you use the word the code strong at checkout you'll get 10% off the book great reco thank you Lauren you are very welcome um any final thoughts? I mean, Frankie Boyle and John Ronson have at, put quotes on the cover. So yeah. I saw that she Instagrammed. I can't remember who the hot celeb is, but there's this hot actor who said he'd read the book and said good things about it. And she was like, if this hot guy has read my book and loved it, you all need to read it. I thought that was brilliant. But yeah, Lauren, I would recommend her series. I mean, I would recommend Taskmaster every day of the week, but her series of Taskmaster is a good one if you want to enjoy that. Love it. Okay, I'm going to do that. Um, Right, so really pleased to have another book in the top 10 of 2024 in January. Thanks, Ben. much for listening if you enjoyed today's episode like subscribe leave a rating and review it costs you nothing but it genuinely means the world to us and don't forget to share our podcast with your reading buddy because they might like to listen as well and if you don't already then follow us on instagram at bookrecos for funnily enough more book recommendations see you next week we'll be here